All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hey there, true believers. It's your boy from Illinois, Drew here, coming to you with another edition of the Amazon Project, the podcast where we try to uh, investigate and raise up the struggles and the uh, victories of Amazon workers all over the country and all over the world. So tonight, uh, I want to kind of dive into a couple of topics uh, that are related, you know, directly and indirectly to uh, Amazon and the ongoing efforts of labor and workers uh, to get the things that they want and need uh, uh, and, you know, what, what they're up to. Uh, I would like to start off by talking a little bit uh, about a, a TikTok I made uh, about a text that was sent to JFK 8 in New York. All right, so this is a text that was received by uh, workers, supposedly by workers at the JFK 8 facility where the Amazon labor union uh, is currently going through their union drive. Uh, it starts off, with uh, Amazon-JFK8 in parentheses. We've received complaints that the ALU is going to your homes uninvited and unannounced. We are sorry that they are choosing to do this, but we're legally required to release eligible associates contact information to the ALU. These individuals do not represent Amazon. You can let them know that you don't wish to be contacted. Amazon respects your privacy and will not go to your home unless we're delivering for a customer of cars. So very, very cute, very cute. Uh, but let's let's take a look at this smear job of a of a text, um, and you know, kind of give you an idea of how the company goes about trying to stop union activity at its facilities. Uh, what the way that they frame the situation is important. Uh, first, they start off by saying that they've received complaints. That very well could, I mean, probably very well is true. Uh, but starting off by saying you're getting complaints is right off the bat a very negative connotation. Uh, and then says that they're going to your homes uninvited and unannounced. Uh, you know, the issue I have with this is it is, it is spinning what is happening in a negative way when in fact it is a very standard routine uh, exercising of free speech rights. Uh, yes, you do knock somebody's door to contact them about political campaigns or union uh, campaigns, but that, that is standard. Uh, I, I, I know that there are people that are uncomfortable with it, but it also produces other effects like people being more comfortable to talk about the situation uh, when they're not under observation. So then they get into, uh, they are sorry that the union is choosing to do this. So they're, they're framing the situation as the union is making the choice to go door to door uh, and contact Amazon workers. 
So that's, you know, it's not a particular, you know, it, it, here's my issue with saying that they're choosing, Amazon itself is choosing to do all of this. It's very misleading. It's placing the onus of the choice onto the, the workers. The company could step back and allow everybody uh, to just sign up for a union. And that, that if you get half the people in the facility to sign, that's a vote or a, you know, a card check standard. They could do this a lot of different ways. Uh, then they get into being legally required to release uh, eligible associates contact information, which is just uh, a, a nice way of saying they get your name and address. That's also, if you, it's unnerving to people that don't understand that a lot of that information is out there about you already, especially if like you're a registered voter. Um, you know, once, once you're in the system, they do have, they do connect you to an address. And anyways, I, I say this because it's not unusual uh, to, to have that kind of information. Uh, and Amazon, <laughs> they certainly have a lot of information. So getting into, uh, you know, these individuals do not represent Amazon. Uh, that's fair enough. Um, you know, they're making that clear. I would imagine they're not saying that they're with Amazon. Uh, and then saying you can, you know, let them know you don't wish to be contacted. That's standard operating procedure for anybody knocking your door. So this is, they're framing this, you know, if you've never had this happen before and don't understand it, this doesn't sound like a pleasant experience, right? And realistically, you know, I, what I've seen knocking a lot, of a lot of doors is that people become more accustomed to it and they get more comfortable to it the more that it happens. And if it hasn't happened to you before, it is kind of, uh, it can be, I'm sympathetic to the people that aren't comfortable with that. Um, but I think the icing on the cake here on this, uh, this text, you know, and in addition to this just kind of like, you know, saying those no good, you know, uh, those no good union people are showing up at your doorstep and they're choosing to put us through this all, put you through this hard process. They say Amazon respects your privacy. Now, I'm, I'm sure that they do strive to respect, you know, our privacy professionally, right? They follow the laws, I, I'm sure. But this is also a company that at one point, and technically, I think still has a standard that they want to know what you're doing every six minutes. You know, uh, the interview that we did, you know, that that was the kind of topic that came up, uh, wanting to know what you're spending your time doing in the bathroom. Uh, you know, and then throw in the fact that, you know, Amazon is there. They collect so much data that they sell to people, and I understand that's not connected to us. But you know, the company ethos does not necessarily indicate that they respect your privacy. But these are the types of texts that, and, and so uh, the way I the way I kind of it works is that the company I don't think necessarily I don't think that they can uh, attack the union the way that am like uh, the union activity can address issues and make demands. They have to do it in kind of a a way like you saw in that text. So you know these texts are being developed by an industry. Uh, that rakes in hundreds of millions of dollars a year through lawyers and consultants. Uh, it's called the union avoidance industry, uh, also known as union busting. And there has been a reasonable amount of uh, a reasonable amount of research done on the the nature of union busters. One guy wrote a book uh, that uh, said, "Let me 
look that up real quick. Name of a book is Confessions of a Union Buster, written by Martin J. Levitt and Terry Conroe Toshinsky. I think I said that right. And the description on the Google Books is a former union buster exposes the dirty tricks that elevate him to the top of his profession and that have transformed the war on organized labor into a billion dollars per year industry. So those are the forces that are uh, working against normal working people like us, uh, just trying to get together, get on the same page and uh, you know, get the things that, the, that we want and need. <clears throat> so they, what happens with the union drive and the union busters is they start bringing in the union busters to try and resist the efforts being made. And that's when you see an uptick in the activity, like those texts, you know, as an example of how it's kind of dirty, it's somewhat misleading. Uh, it certainly has a negative connotation as far as I read it. Um, and as I think a lot of people would read it. Um, so that, that, that's a little underhanded. I mean, why not just be direct? Um, that, that text could have had a whole different tone. Well, because when the union activity starts or whatever activity starts, they bring in the union busters and they start coming up with texts like that uh, or things that uh, they can post in the bathroom or things that they can you know, text out about the union. Uh, and they find these kind of ways to slide in and kind of take cheap shots at the, the union and the union people. Um, and so that, that is so, I, to, to ignore the fact that there is a vested interest by uh, high levels of society in suppressing unions to the tune of, uh, if, that, if I read that correctly, it was billions of dollars a year. Um, this has nothing to do about what's good for the workers. This has everything to do about what's good for people's pocketbooks. That's how I view this. Um, now, recently, uh, I follow a Facebook page called Labor Lab. Uh, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, I'd recommend checking it out, Labor Lab. Uh, but they, <laughs> they released uh, a bunch of documents from a union busting uh, law firm called Reed Smith. And uh, this, this law firm put out a PowerPoint uh, that described union activities. And, you know, this is a, I, I, I don't appreciate this in a positive way. I appreciate how they have crafted this campaign against workers, this unofficial, you know, campaign against workers to keep us from, you know, getting together and getting what we want and need. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's classic framing and, and smearing. So here's, here's a part of the leak. Oh, and by the way, that if I had not mentioned, uh, Reed Smith is representing Activision Blizzard. Uh, Activision Blizzard has workers unionizing, but here's, you know, let's look into how they view us as the people on the other side of this equation. I, I think of them like sitting in an office in a high rise, you know, over, you know, working, you know, a, a reasonable schedule and being well compensated. Types of employees unions exploit. Lazy, non-productive or inefficient. I mean, right off the bat, right, no, you know, immediately, immediately lazy. The first thing they say about us is we are lazy. 
then non-productive. You know, we're we're non-productive. We're we're not a member of the team, or inefficient. Uh, that you know, not meeting that standard that they want. You know, that ever-changing, ever-increasing, uh, never quite reachable standard sometimes. But uh, as you, I mean, this this is uh, this is how they view us. Um, <laughs> this next one is is something else. Footloose and fancy free, no major obligations or commitments, financial or otherwise. So they're so they're they're framing us as lazy, or you know, we just don't have a care in the world. We don't have obligations. We don't have responsibilities. We we don't know what it's like for the the worker out there. Uh, there we go. Rebel, anti-establishment, opposes society, structure, and management. So, you know, it's, it's a stereotype and an archetype uh, of somebody that just doesn't like, doesn't like authority. Uh, and, a, you know, an easy way to kind of dismiss whatever they may be saying. Uh, malingerer, something for nothing attitude. So that... That's a great, uh, and, and I mean great as in it's terrible. Uh, it, it's immediately framing the person as, you know, they, they're wanting to get over on things. They're not honest. They don't really do the right thing. All of these things, all of these things are, you know, indicating maybe, you know, personality types or archetypes that, you know, somewhat, I, I mean, racist on some levels. I don't know. I, but the, the picture they're framing of people here is of people that you don't want to be around that aren't they don't share your values they don't believe in doing things the honest way and working hard and getting where you want to go in life like that these are the opposite types of people right they're the others uh <clears throat> whiner and complainer uh that's always a good one because no nobody likes a whiner or a complainer uh and again immediately dismisses them activist that's a that's that's a broad term you know indicating political uh type like uh, leanings uh and you know <laughs> that has its own connotations because some people get really really nervous about any sort of politics they don't want to be around it at all and then to top it off overqualified for current job position well and I don't know. I mean, how, what is overqualified at a place like Amazon? So, or any place, Activision, Blizzard, but just the picture they paint of what workers are like, you know, it really, it's, I think it's important, you know, that we all understand that, that the way that they look at us is a, is a very harsh view. Uh, and one that seems to make a lot of assumptions and pray on prejudices uh, that we have and fears that we have of other people. I think it is dirty. I think it's it's almost bullying uh, to you know say people are all these things if they have the audacity uh, to want to speak up. So this leak uh, gives you a little bit of insight as to what, how we're viewed by the other side of this. Uh, I don't care for it. I don't appreciate it. Uh, I, I hope that you all don't uh, appreciate it either. Um, and I think that 
you know, what this, the question that this raises to me, the question it raises is kind of a moral ethical question. This is kind of underhanded. It's, it's dirty trick type things. Uh, you know, a company like Amazon holds itself to the highest standards, it says. So why, why resort to this type of thing? Uh, now, Activision Blizzard isn't, you know, the same law firm. We, we don't know. And one of the other problems is that from what I can gather, all of this activity, even though it is connected to uh, elections that are run like the federal elections, nobody's really uh, reporting this. And that's very, very important. I've learned, you know, I, I, I've learned a little bit about the fundraising side. I, it's tough, uh, the reporting and everything. Um, and, you know, it doesn't seem like they have to report at all about the money they're spending uh, in opposition to these federal elections. One of the favorite, and while we're talking about union busting, I want to bring this back to Amazon and what's happening at Amazon. And I want to stress that high standard uh, that the company wants to hold itself to, to be a leader and an innovator. Uh, one of the practices in the United States that uh, law uh, that uh, laws like the Protect the Right to Organize Act would uh, eliminate practices they would eliminate are what's called captive audience meetings. So captive audience meetings are when they call employees to uh, whatever classroom break room, and they are subjected to an onslaught of anti-union rhetoric. Uh, I've read transcripts from some of these ones. I mean, they, they get, you know, they get into, uh, you know, basically attacks on the union itself, uh, kind of misleading about the collective bargaining process and also what kind of, you know, you know, who really controls unions, the membership, you know, it's democracy in the workplace. Uh, but a cat, when they pull all these people in, you can be it's been uh, it's been determined that you can be fired if you refuse to go to one of these meetings. So it is uh, you go to this meeting and you are forced to listen to this stuff for however long they they do it. Um, you know, and then you have to go back and uh, decide on whether you want to vote for something. So I think it's a form of psychological conditioning where they try to make an intense or uncomfortable experience associated with the union. And then people walk away, you know, maybe thinking twice about voting yes for a union. Uh, I can't speak to all of the things that are said in these meetings, but based on some of the things I have heard and seen, they do seem misleading. Uh, they are they are not necessary. I don't. I'm not sure if they can be negative about the union, you know. Uh, but they're allowed to like give facts, and of course, the facts that they're going to give and the things that they're going to talk about are going to portray the unions in a negative light. Um, you can uh, you can see some of this in a documentary called American Factory on Netflix that goes through the unionization process of a glass manufacturing. Uh, plant in Ohio, I believe it was Ohio, uh, but you can get a taste of what they feel like. Like, and I think you're gonna, you're gonna determine the same thing I did, which is that they're not pleasant experiences. And here's the kicker. Uh, countries that we consider our peers do not legally allow these captive audience meetings. One specific one, you know, Canada, 
we have a lot of shared values with Canada. We have a shared border. We have some shared aspects of culture. Uh, but they they determined that because uh, direct or because captive audience meetings were so effective, they were an unfair they were an unfair advantage to the employers. Uh, you look at the data of when they use these captive audience meetings and you see uh, the, the percentage of people voting for unions go down. And I guess, you know, the, the, the argument here that is just the ultimate deconstruction is that uh, there's two sides to this story. Okay, I get it. Uh, unions are a choice and we all should remember that. That's that's why we need to, to run them right and to take care of them right in any labor organization. But I think that subjecting people to such a distinctly uncomfortable experience that is a type of human rights violation, essentially, you know, forced listening is, if nothing else, frowned on in many, many parts of the world, at least that's my understanding. Uh, so this amounts to me as a sort of low key torture. Uh, and of course, it's effective because any sort of torture or human rights type violation uh, in conjunction with a, a certain message, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna get people to change their mind. So I, I think Amazon should start, you know, instead of subjecting the workers to this, why don't they hold themselves to the same, same standard that other internet, you know, they have to in other places internationally? Uh, why, why, not, why not just abstain from committing an act and, you know, doing something that seems to be very unpleasant uh, and again kind of amounts to almost a low key form of torture or for just a tor there is no low key or high key torture there's only torture and i consider uh people that or, or any any organization that creates discomfort to get people to do what they want uh at some certain point you know comes in you know may violate you know human rights uh, and that's how I see a lot of this. And I, I'm actually, you know, not to rant off too much, but speaking of how it can be done differently recently, Elon Musk, and we'll see if this works, Elon Musk, an outspoken critic of the United Auto Workers organizing uh, his Tesla plants, invited the union in to hold an election and said he would do nothing to get in the way. So, I mean, if he, we'll see if he actually does that, but that's an option on the table for any business owner. It doesn't have to be a fight with the workers. It can be a collaborative process. Uh, so I, I think that it would be good to, to see that sort of attitude, uh, you know, brought into the way that Amazon views its labor force. I mean, union or non-union, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, based off of what I read in that Activision Blizzard law firm's uh, material, you know, and things that I see relatively often like the JFK 8 text. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind that if nothing else, our, we're being subjected to a treatment based on a perception. And then that perception can be spread to your coworkers, right? And I just think it's, they don't, it's not very respectful. It's not fair. And hence why labor law violations, violations of the National Labor Relations Act are called unfair labor practices. I am, of course, always curious, of, or not curious, I'm always kind of, uh, I don't want to say on edge, but I'm watchful of that battleground, you know, because it's a pressure point that they know that, you know, that I've kind of, we've kind of gotten over on that, right? Uh, 
So I walked into the bathroom yesterday morning uh, and plastered, you know, on the wall at face level in the urinal and, or neck in, on top of the urinal and also right when you walked into the bathroom, uh, it said very clearly reminder of cell phone policy, which uh, I don't know when they they actually told us about the policy. I don't remember it being written anywhere or you know, I, I'm not sure. All I know is that they capitulated to uh, pressure when after the tragic events in Edwardsville, a lot of questions started getting asked about the structure of these facilities. Uh, that's when I made a TikTok about what we, what I report to every day is a, is a giant box that, you know, you, you know, is what, let's say, you know, it's like 300 rows. So what is that? Maybe 300 football, three football fields long, maybe two football fields wide, and then stacked four high. Uh, it's a giant space, giant facility. Um, and in that, there are no landlines for phones. Uh, even cell phone reception can be sketchy uh, and any of the Wi-Fi connection too, but you can go in hundreds of feet for any direction and not, not you know, not be able to find a communication device. So this has always been a sticking point on why you know we need reasonable cell phone policy. I stress the reasonable cell phone policy. Uh, it's a very direct thing, you know, uh, on on people uh, to to pressure them and to create discomfort surrounding something that in every other part of the world they have access to and that everybody they know has access to, and we we are accustomed to being interconnected with people. Um, and we have been for a long time. So to walk in and see, you know, kind of specifically prohibiting uh, a number of things. One, it, it would seem based on the language I read that they would not, you are not allowed to have your phone out in any capacity while you are in that giant box, the mod. Uh, you are also not allowed to have your phone out in the bathroom while you are on shift and not on break. Um, and, and it also made it clear prohibited, you know, making videos and audio. I've always respected that. I always try to respect the rules. But the specific things about having the phone out, how it was going to be enforced, they keep stressing not having earphones in or your earbuds, which is a totally bizarre rule, if you ask me. Uh, they encourage you to wear and hand out earplugs that block out anything from like 80 to, I want to say like a hundred something decibels. Uh, your, your average earphones, from what I've researched, uh, like one earphone and one earbud and one phone may hit 50 decibels. So if you're wearing earplugs, you wouldn't hear anything at that level. Uh, so it's just, it's all, all these things provide a certain level of psychological relief uh, and a relief from the, uh, the, you know, the, the monotony of the job and also play very important roles for people being able to reach out to their friends and family if there's emergencies or they need to coordinate something. You know, it's hard to coordinate getting a ride for somebody if you can't use your phone. Um, so I, I don't think, I think that this is, they are attempting to ratchet up their policy enforcement. And I think that it's unfair to just ratchet up enforcement of uh, 
uh, policies that don't make sense when instead you should be including workers in a conversation about what a reasonable policy would be. I, for instance, I talked to a number of workers today and many of them agreed with two things that I suggested as like rules. Same thing as if you're driving, you can't be texting and walking on your phone and walking. That's a reasonable policy you know, for your cell phone. Also, while you're doing your actual job, like while I'm picking or while I'm stowing or while I'm packing a box, I should not be using my phone at the same time, at least especially in my hand. You know, I explained the position on the earphones and this is all stuff that has been tacitly allowed that the approval was tacit the last year. I know I've been in the mod for a year. <laughs> I've seen, you know, a lot of it. And I've also seen other departments, you know, people being allowed to do that. You know, in general, it is, it's not a, it's not, it's not being reasonable to us. And I feel like it's on some level, a kind of retaliation for speaking up about it in the first place. Uh, I circulated petitions about it uh, and, you know, really got, you know, was able to get some, some traction on that and, you know, get a kind of relative win. Uh, and I think, you know, they're coming back with this just to kind of, uh, you know, remind us who's in charge. We are all in this together. The business thriving means that we are going to thrive. When they make money, we make money. When the company does well, we do well. This is not supposed to be uh, bad for either side. It's supposed to enhance the position of both sides. Uh, instead of doing that and trying to find reasonable solutions to problems, they, you know, come down with heavy-handed, uh, you know, policies after, you know, a long period of laissez-faire and tacit allowal of certain practices. So. I, I, I'm pretty, uh, I, I'm not sure what we should do about this. Um, I think maybe another petition would be in order, you know, to say we want reasonable cell phone policy, maybe specify we want like two or three work, like maybe three workers that, you know, three workers, anybody that's willing to sign a petition, like you put a petition out and say, would you, do you understand that these three people can negotiate the cell phone policy? See how many petition signatures you can get. Anyways, that's tactical stuff. Uh, I, I wanna continue. Uh, I can't believe that the TikTok video got a bunch of views. It's at like 4,000 likes. I'm a numbers guy. And I, I have been watching the TikTok thus far to see what resonates with people. Uh, and that seemed to resonate. It is interesting to me the subjects or the topics that motivate people to action. Cell phones uh, have become so intertwined with our culture that you know people get pretty upset about not being able to have them. And I know there's a lot of people that say, well, just don't get caught. And there's people that say, well, I'm going to have it out. Here's my problem with treating policies like that. So, so for the last 20 years, I have been, or for the last 20 years, I was effectively criminalized for my use of cannabis, something that is now you know, acknowledged as an, you know, uh, an appropriate medication for a lot of people, including myself. Uh, and you know, for 20 years, I had, to you know, I had to be scared of getting arrested for cannabis and going to jail. Uh, 
And I, I mean, that's a terrible feeling. And when they changed the laws, it made things a lot better. You know, and a lot of people got hurt because of those laws. A lot of people suffered and struggled in different ways and big and small because of that policy. So when I look at a policy like the cell phone policy, I see something similar in that, you know, they're not addressing the problem, which is you're not really outlining what you want people to do. Uh, and figuring out how to how to get them to do it, you know, you're just kind of, you know, uh, enforcing policies that, you know, they make some sense, but you, know, you need to make it clear. Can people check their cell phone real quick? Can they not, uh, you know, what is considered, like I said, I have two, two rule suggestions here. The important thing I think with this uh, cell phone policy is that it does seem to be something that people are, are very committed to. Uh, and I think that's great and an issue we should keep pressing on. We've, we've covered a wide variety of topics tonight. Uh, I know that some of this is kind of scattered, you know, about the laws and, uh, you know, the union avoidance stuff um, and, you know, all of that. But I feel like it does frame the situation. I keep saying that word for a reason because that's how you know we need to treat this this situation is that the other side you know may not be uh acting scrupulously um you know with that said uh we continue to strive uh to change the policy at our facility and to be on the front lines and delivering uh delivering blows for the working class so to speak um and so to everyone out there, I, I want you all to remember uh, to be smart and be safe and stay tuned for the next episode of the Amazon Project.